Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is uh, my colleague, Stephen Ide. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He's a contributing editor of City Journal. He holds a PhD in political science and is an expert on homelessness and mental health issues, which he has written about extensively for City Journal and other uh, outlets. He has a new book, Uh, forthcoming called Homelessness in America, the History and Tragedy of an Intractable Social Problem. The book couldn't be timelier. It gives a comprehensive overview of something uh, that is plaguing U.S. cities really from coast to coast and uh, has been in the news, obviously, a lot recently. Uh, Before we we, we get to the conversation with Steve, let's take a quick break, though, for a message from our colleague, Allison Schrager, who has an exciting new podcast uh, that has just launched on economics. Hi, City Journal fans. This is Allison Schrager, and I'd like to tell you about my new podcast, Risk Talking. It'll be me and some of the brightest economic minds I know debating what's going on in the world and the economic challenges we face. So I hope you'll come check it out. It will be on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And now, Steve and I, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, Your book, again, the title is called Homelessness in America. It begins with a call for terminological and conceptual precision. In the 70s, you you note progressive advocates who were hoping to expand the, the realm of subsidized housing, they began to search for a more compassionate sounding word than vagrant which is what uh, we used to call the homeless. They landed on the term homeless, which you note had long connoted a sense of social alienation. But today's activists reject that word. They opt instead for more benign terms, such as unhoused, uh, that you know they, they think of as, as carrying less stigma. You're right, though, that the term homeless is likely to remain with us, though we could stand, you you know, to be much clearer in how we talk about the problem. And that clarity should begin, in your view, with thinking more clearly about it. So to start off, what is homelessness exactly? Is it a coherent concept? Is it a unified experience? Or are we talking about a bunch of different pathologies that vary across time and space? Well, one way uh, in my book that I get at that question, what is homelessness, is, is through the history. I, spent, I devote the first third of the book to the history of homelessness, which is, I think, a useful way to think about or to, to bring into focus what a strange concept it really is. Um, we've always had throughout American history, really human history, um, individuals, men who didn't have a defined place in any social order, any family or community, and were very poor. Um, In the late 19th and early 20th century, the common terms we used for them were hobo, bum, uh, tramp. Um, And those were terms that now strike us as very, you know, un-PC, offensive. But also, if you really dig into the literature from that time, um, denoted specific qualities and were, in fact, um, terms that this, these guys used among themselves. Um, a hobo, for example, was a guy who uh, worked 
um, and was and moved around, moved around the country, chased, uh, pursuing work. A tramp was a guy who moved around the country but didn't work, and a bum who didn't work and didn't move. <laughs> um, and in a way, these terms, if you push past the kinds of offensiveness, what they think you find interesting about these terms is they have nothing to do with these guys' housing situation, really. I mean, they, they're defined in terms of like their disposition to work or just, you know, uh, where they are, their place in society. Uh, moving further into the 20th century, uh, we find less um, working amongst the, the, quote, homeless population. So the hobos and tramps kind of go away, but the bums stay. So you had these kind of skid row communities, the Bowery in New York City, where you had a lot of very, very poor men who were still you know, very alienated from mainstream society, not part of a family, not part of a community. Um, all their terms at the time, vagrant, derelict. And that was a situation pushing into around the 1980 that we had when, as a result of a larger social policy debate, I think in terms of like the direction of the welfare state, where we wanted to go with the war and poverty, uh, the Reagan revolution, the advocates of, of, of the, quote, homeless men decided we needed a better term and they settled on homeless. Um, and I think that that was a way to really focus the attention on more government investment and, and housing at a time in which, from their perspective, um, the commitment to those types of investments was wavering on the part of the government and American public. And I think in, in a lot of ways, the situation since 1980 hasn't changed very much. And we still never really um, come to terms with the fact that this was a term that was pushed for a as a result of a commitment to a particular agenda, not as much because it reflected the underlying reality it was trying to describe. You know, you 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 argue in the book that modern homelessness, in this sense, uh, really um, grew out of a, a situation in which a number of reforms were were imposed over a several decade period: urban renewal, vagrancy laws, deinstitutionalization. That in fact made uh, the the problem a lot worse, especially in cities. Um, I you know I, w- I wonder what what your view is of that kind of policy uh, role in creating homelessness, and um, you know what what are some of the implications for thinking about homelessness in a in a more nuanced way uh, that the history reveals that that we're in fact talking about people with different different dispositions and different problems. Yeah, well, in a sense, I'm trying to sympathize a bit with, um, you know, reformers, policymakers in the mid 20th century who were looking at on Skid Row communities, who were looking at these massive asylum complexes um, and, you know, found those situations very uh, disgraceful. You know, we're America. We just won World War II. We can we're on the way to the moon. Clearly, clearly we can do a lot better than Skid Row. And and, you know, and it can't get any worse. Um, uh, we know from our vantage point of history that in some ways it, it probably got worse, but at least the problem changed dramatically. And so. I think that brings into focus, um, you know, just how hard it's going to be um, to make to make a difference when you're when you're working with these very, very disadvantaged um, and intractable, the very disadvantaged populations and sort of intractable problems, as I say, the title. I think it gives you a bit of a bit of a sense of humility um, as to what we can do. Right, especially when it comes to the, you know, the, the problem with deinstitutionalization, where 
we're, we need to think about, and you, you've written extensively about mental health issues for City Journal, but these, these overlap with the homelessness problem. A lot of the people you find uh, on the streets permanently are suffering from drug addiction and also untreated forms of, of mental illness, right? Yeah, I mean, the advocates have always preferred to downplay the mental illness connection because the more you focus on mental illness, the less you focus on housing, and they need maximum focus and resources towards the housing issue. But in my view, you know, studying the history especially, you know, there's no question that mental illness really is one of the defining features of modern homelessness. I mean, if you look at the, the hobo culture, tramp culture, skid row culture, you find a lot of problems, you know, poverty, uh, certainly alcoholism, but you really don't find like schizophrenia. I mean, these were errors that happened during the asylum era. And I think that there's a connection there. And so if we want to think coherently about what this problem is, that's we have to um, develop solutions to, 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 you know, to reckon with, then I don't think that the public, the man on the street, um, should be dismissed when they make draw such a close connection between mental illness and, and homelessness. I mean, you know, you can talk about what percentage of the population of the total homeless population in America has a serious mental illness, has schizophrenia. Um, it may be, you know, statistically speaking, um, less than half, especially if you're including in that, you know, children, homeless families, um, and so forth. But when you're talking about the hardest cases, the cases that draw so much, that drive so much of the sense of disgrace and so much public outcry, untreated mental illness is a major part of this problem. We're not wrong to think of it as a defining feature of it. The, The favored policy response to the modern homeless condition is called uh, housing first. You've written about this idea at some length for City Journal. You give it a full treatment in the book. What is this idea of housing first? Who advocates it? And does it work or does it not? Well, when the response to homelessness, once that problem was defined in the early 1980s, took a little time to develop and housing first people settled on that response as the the way in which we wanted our our homeless service systems to be designed um so we've got you know all kinds of other parts of the welfare state all kinds of other programs we need we need programs specifically for the homeless they're going to operate along housing first lines that was a decision that was made in the 2000s and the influence of this theory housing first just got tighter and tighter over time it means we give people the only serious solution to homelessness is to give people subsidized housing. Yes, homeless people have these other problems, but the most important thing is to maximize resources to subsidize housing. The model they favor is called permanent supportive housing, meaning housing with some kind of services attached to it. That's what you do. You put people in housing and then you work on these other programs um, later, but the housing has to come first. And so, and this was, touted the reason why this is so influential is because re- people really believe this was going to end homeless end homelessness all across the nation beginning in the George Bush administration actually communities developed these 10 years plans to end homelessness and it's all going to be through this housing first philosophy well you know comparing where we were 2005 2010 um you know 
and where we are now, I don't think, you know, we haven't even, we certainly haven't ended homelessness and it's just gotten worse. So I think the housing first proponents really have a lot to answer for by this point. Um, There are a lot of questions to be asked about the underlying research that drove so much of this um, policy push. However, at the moment, there's still a very powerful commitment to housing first at the federal level and in the hotspot places like California and New York, um, where this homelessness remains, you know, the number one issue. Now, I've, I've, you know, travel from city to city. You go to San Francisco, housing or, or homelessness seems to be just everywhere. It, it, it is hard to avoid. You go to Miami uh, or Houston, warm, prosperous cities like San Francisco, the problem doesn't seem nearly as bad, at least doing some kind of an eye test, you know, as you, as you walk through the city. Uh, not that there's not homelessness in Houston, but you don't see the same kind of encampments, at least I didn't. I, I wonder if that's your sense as well, and if there are certain things that are, you know, San Francisco is doing wrong, or Los Angeles, where the problem has gotten very bad, uh, whether LA is doing something wrong compared to places like Houston. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I certainly personally credit the housing part of the problem. I do, you know, I'm convinced by the literature. There's a strong amount of academic literature saying that the rents drive a lot of this problem and the rents are very high in California. But particularly when you're comparing like LA and San Francisco now versus 20 years ago, you know, the public safety dimension of it, this, this attitude of accommodation towards living in public, um, you know, that's a real change. You know, the, the idea there, you know, there was always some ver- version of this problem in California, um, but it's just spread and it seems to have gotten more uncontrollable in terms of like the extremes of the behavior you're seeing um, and just the magnitude of it, you know, seeing it in more, more places like, you know, it's now, um, you know, there was always Skid Row in LA, but now, you know, Venice some days seems just as bad as Skid Row. So, that's a, an area where but comparing California now versus California 20, 30 years ago, and also California versus these other communities where, you know, I think you really do have to reckon with the public safety dimension of this. Like, what is the role of police law enforcement? Police and law enforcement have always had some sort of role in responding to this problem, going back through American history. Um, we didn't like the way they responded earlier in the 20th century, so we changed that. But we've and we placed a lot of restraints on police behavior. But yet at the same time, when things get out of control in the streets, we're still demanding that police do something about the problem. So in this incoherence of what the role for police um, should be is really at a peak in California and, and, you know, and they're living the consequences of it. You know, some, some of these cities with very bad homelessness problem problems right now, San Francisco, we mentioned LA, Seattle would be another one. They've become magnets for the drug addicted. Uh, in part, I think, because they, these cities are offering free drug equipment, uh, access to you know, so-called safe injection sites, sometimes even providing um, access to drugs uh, for those looking to uh, shoot up or get high. You know, New York has an obvious uh, and growing crisis, or at least a bad crisis with the mentally ill, many of whom are, are as you've noted, totally unsheltered. Each era in your history of homelessness seems to last for four or five decades. If that pattern were to hold, we'd be pretty close to being due 
for a new era to begin. So, you know, what, in your view, is more likely looking to the future that the next several decades will just see more of this crisis continuing, um, you know, that has accelerated in the 2020s, but that has been going on for, for a while now, or that policymakers are really going to step up and figure out this problem uh, and deal with this problem in an intelligent, effective way? Yeah, it's really hard to see. I mean, you know, the type of change that are under consideration on the public safety front, on the mental health front in places like California and New York, they're so modest. I mean, it's such like baby step type stuff. It's always possible that, you know, some things will turn around, that something unexpected will will change and, and at least change the shape of the problem. Um, you know, but I, but it's it's just very difficult to imagine because you, you're so locked into the current debate and the options which are on the table are so um, such minor, just marginal differences from the from from the course that we're currently on. Um, but it is, but it is the case that, you know, yes, pop, the poor have always been with us. Um, you know, what to do with mentally ill people is, all, you know, we've never had a perfect answer to that, but we've taken, we've made different answers to that. And so certainly it's possible that, you know, when we were 20, 30 years from now, because um, it's, a, you know, 19, we're closer now to the situation in 1980 than 1980 was to 1960. You know, there was kind of a, a very rapid change. The mentally ill just started showing up on Skid Row in a way that they had never been before. And also in parks and train stations, like where, you know, where are these people coming from? Um, so history does, social history does, does move like that. Uh, you, you've worked in this area for a while now. I wonder, dealing with the nonprofit sector, um, you know, are you seeing any, any groups that are doing a particularly good job in working with the homeless um, you know, in New York or other cities? Well, I think, you know, there were these, before Housing First got going, there were service providers, there were programs that were set up, they were more work-oriented, um, there were faith-based organizations that went back, you know, over a century by this point, um, and those kind of fell out of favor. Some of them are still around, they're hanging on, um, but they haven't benefited as much from this really historic expansion in homeless services funding um, that happened throughout the 2010s, you know, so there are organizations, you know, like the Doe Fund in, in New York City that, um, you know, could play a somewhat larger role, I think, in dealing with the crisis. Um, if, I, I think if you're, we're going to be respectful of the diverse nature of the problem, um, how it really is a question of these like different problems grouped under the one to this one kind of umbrella term, you know, we have to understand that a service provider is only going to deal with a particular part of it. Um, but I'm all for, you know, rediverting resources away from certain solutions and more towards other solutions. And, um, you know, we have a long way, we, we could do a lot more on that front because there's a ton of money in homeless services right now. It is despite the fact that outcomes are so um, disappointing. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, the, the book is called Homelessness in America, The History and Tragedy of an Intractable Social Pro Problem. It's, it's really probably the best uh, overview of homelessness in America uh, that you could read. And uh, it is out, uh, if, if not now, very soon, right, Steve? When is the actual release date of the book? Uh, the publication date is June 2, and I think we're going to hit it. Great. Um, you know, 
please check out Stephen Ide's work as well on the City Journal website, www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his author page in the description. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And as always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, give us a, a five-star ratings, please, on, on iTunes. Steve, thanks very much for being on. It's always always great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.